Turn in your Bibles to the last part of Hebrews chapter 6. what the world wants to make him? Is it what? We know he was Jewish and he was a descendant of Abraham through his mother and his stepfather, descendant of King David on both sides of his family. And Jesus is awesome. The rest of my ministry, I, I really want to preach the Bible like never before, but I want to look for Jesus all through it. According to the scriptures, he's our advocate. He's the Alpha and Omega. He's the author of salvation. He's the beginning and end. He's the bishop of our souls. Who needs an overseer? He's the bread of life. He's the captain of salvation. He's Christ, the anointed one. He's the wonderful counselor, the mighty God. He's the day star, the desire of all nations, the door of the sheep and the sheepfold. He's Emmanuel, God with us, the end of the law for righteousness. The law points out our unrighteousness, but cannot make you righteous. The law is like an x-ray. You know, if you hurt your arm and you wonder if you broke something, you go to the x-ray tech, right? Get it x-rayed. If it's broke, the x-ray will not fix it. You have to go through other means. The law is like that. Points out our flaws, but cannot fix them. He's the everlasting Father. He's the faithful and true witness. He's the firstborn from the dead. He's our friend, and he was accused of being the friend of sinners. Who's glad he's the friend of sinners? He's the gift of God. He's God manifest in the flesh. He's the good shepherd. He's the head of all principality and power. He's the heir of all things. He's our high priest forever. We're going to come back to that. That's our subject today. Our high priest forever our forever high priest. He's the great I am. He's the image of the invisible God. He is our intercessor. He ever lives to make intercession for us. He's the judge of the living and the dead. He's the just one. He's the justifier. He is our justification. He's the king eternal, immortal, invisible. He's the king of kings, little kings, and the Lord of lords, little lords. He's the king of saints, He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's the light of the world. He's the Lion of the tribe of Judah. (laughs) 
He's the mediator of the better covenant. He's our Messiah. He's the mighty God. He has the name above every name. He's a Nazarene. He's near to all who call upon him, who's called upon his name. He's the only begotten son of God. He's the only potentate. He's the overcomer of the world. Rejoice, I have overcome the world. He has preeminence. He is the preeminent one. He's a prince of peace. He's a propitiation, the full payment for our sins. He's the quickening spirit. Sorry, that's all I could think of from the letter Q. (laughs) He's the resurrection and the life. He's a righteous judge. He's our righteousness and redemption. You want to get caught up in worshiping on paper in your journal? Just go through the alphabet thinking of who the Lord Jesus is. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's a savior of the world. He's a son of God and son of man, fulfilling incredible prophecies. He's a testator of the New Testament. He's the true light, the true bread, and the true vine. He's the truth and the life. He's undefiled. He's the unspeakable gift. He's the upholder of all things, the sustainer of the universe. He's our very present help in time of trouble. He is our victory. He is the vine and we are the branches. And if we abide in him, he produces fruit in us. He's the wisdom of God. He's the word of God made flesh. He's the word that was God and was with God. He is worthy. He is exalted highly. He has the more excellent name. And he's the express image of God's person. He's the yes and amen to the promises of God. He's a personification of the zeal of the Lord of hosts. And he is our Zoe life force. John 10, 10 says, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That word for life is Zoe. Who's glad about it? Yeah. Hebrews six nineteen. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. What is this hope? Well, it's mentioned in the previous verses. The previous paragraph talks about God making promises to Abraham and then sealing those promises by making an oath so that by two immutable things, his word that is unbreakable, he cannot lie, and the covenant that he makes. Verse 17, thus God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong, can we say strong? Strong consolation. Everybody need consolation? We do. He gives strong consolation. Who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. Ultimately, he is that hope. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul. Now, some have taught that hope is the anchor of the soul and that when you um, are hopeless, you have no anchor. There's some truth in that, but you can't use this verse to teach that. This is talking about, about a specific hope. 
the hope that's found in the one who made promises and made an oath to keep those promises. He stood behind it with his character and then paid a price through Christ on the tree who paid the penalty for breaking a covenant, which is death. The penalty for sin and breaking covenants is death. It's till death do we part. That's what we say in our wedding ceremonies. But Christ paid that penalty for us. He died. The covenant keeper died for all the covenant breakers. Who's glad about it? This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So this hope is a foundation for our faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. This hope gives us courage and encouragement to approach the presence of God, knowing that Jesus has gone before us and offered the perfect sacrifice in his flesh on the cross so that you and I might be granted entrance, not because we're righteous in ourselves, but because he made us righteous. In the old covenant, the job of the priest was to inspect your sacrifice. And if it was determined to be perfect and acceptable, it was allowed to be an offering for your sin. You didn't bring him some land that was all messed up, some creature that had problems that you didn't want. You brought your best. Well, in coming to God in the new covenant, we bring him our worst. How do we do that? The best has been offered for us. And not only was the perfect lamb who takes away the sins of the world offered up for us, he arose from the dead as the great high priest to enforce the effects of his sacrifice on behalf of his people. So saints, we've been set free. So we don't have a right to hold grudges against anybody. The price has been paid for our sins and for the sins of those we can't stand. So that we can go free. Chapter 7, verse 1 talks about Melchizedek. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, I'll explain what this is, priest of the Most High God, El Elyon, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, that's what Melchizedek means, Melchizedek, king of righteousness. And then also the king of Salem, that's where he ruled. The king of peace, meaning king of peace. Salem ultimately is the roots for Jerusalem. Isn't that awesome? Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. What is he talking about? Well, in Genesis 14, Abraham is used by the Lord to free Sodom and Gomorrah and, and surrounding kingdom cities from their oppressors because his nephew Lot and his family had been kidnapped by these foreign powers. They had been oppressing the people for years, uh, taking protection money, extortion. And uh, finally they said, no more, we're not going to do it. So they came in and began to conquer them and oppress the people and hauled Lot off. And on their way with Lot, taking him back east, Abram 
and his company of, of men, his servants, attacked and freed them and overcame the kings and sent them home defeated. It's an amazing story. And when he came back, he met this priest who was a king named Melchizedek. And here is the only mention of him in the Old Testament other than Psalm 110 and then here in the New Testament we're reading today. It says, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High, El Elyon. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham, or Abram, he wasn't named Abraham yet, of God Most High, possessor of heaven and the earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram, in appreciation, an act of worship, gave a tenth of the spoil they had taken from the enemy to Melchizedek. He paid tithes to Melchizedek. So that's what he is talking about here. Now, that's all we know about Melchizedek. The scriptures don't record his genealogy, where he came from. We know he wasn't a descendant of Abraham. Uh, no relation there, but yet here, who knows God has a lot more going on than we know, right, behind the scenes. And so uh, some people believe Melchizedek was an angel. Some people believe he was Jesus. Others believe uh, that he was Shem himself, Noah's son. I don't know about all that. I know uh, in Hebrews 5, the writer went to great detail to explain why a priest needs to be a man so that he can have empathy with those with whom he is um, to minister. So if you believe he's, he was Jesus, it's okay with me because he ultimately was going to become a man, right? The point is, he's drawing from the scriptures and using the lack of information to make his point cross. Without genealogy, here is a priest forever. He's honored for this. Abraham, you know, paid tithes, gave a tenth of the spoil to him. Now consider, verse 4, how great this man was to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi, who received the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. So Abraham's great-grandson, uh, his descendants, Levi was the third son of Leah, Jacob's third-born. His family was honored after their deliverance from Egypt to be the tribe that would provide ministers for worship purposes. There would be Levites who would serve the needs of the practice of worship and then the descendants of Aaron who was of the tribe of Levi would be the family through which the priests would come. And so the Levites and the priests were the heart of the nation and they were supported by the tithes of the people. And so here Jesus is destined to be a priest and a king, and the writer's explaining how this is possible and not to violate divine principles by 
spinning off of the ministry of Melchizedek and a prophecy in Psalm 110. We'll see in a moment. So he blesses Abraham, and Abraham gives a tenth of the spoil from the battle. Verse 7, now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Here mortal men receive tithes, but there he received them, of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Levi paid tithes through his great-grandfather. That's what the book says. Now, if you consider inheritance as part of being someone's descendant, and 10% of your inheritance coming to you from your great-grandfather is given to the priest of the Most High God, you were part of that picture, even though you weren't alive. You see that? If Abraham had not done that, uh, Levi could have been a recipient, would have been divided up a bunch of times, a recipient of some of that. You see that? So in Abraham, Levi, the, the forefather of the recipients of tithing, gave tithe to the greater priest, Melchizedek. I kind of diagrammed it out for you. You could see gave him a tenth of all. So we have Melchizedek, the greater priest, who blessed Abraham and received tithe from Abraham. So who can see he's greater than Abraham, right? The lesser is blessed by the greater. And then Abraham was a great-grandfather of Levi. He had a son named Isaac, who had a son named Jacob, who had a son named Levi. And then Levi's descendants included the family of Aaron. So Melchizedek trumps them all. Do you see that? He's the greater one. And Jesus is like Melchizedek. That's the point that he's making. The priests officially began to serve at the age of 25 and then retired from serving at the age of 50. Sounds nice, doesn't it? Now, the priesthood over the centuries, even rabbis would tell you this, became corrupt. So much so that in the first chapter of Luke, an old man named Zechariah is still serving as a priest. How is that? That's contrary to the law. Well, they had to have somebody serve, and, and a, a bunch of crooks were in charge and all that. But here Jesus begins to minister Publicly at the age of 30, 33 and a half, he dies. He rises from the dead, and he is our priest continually. No retirement for him. Who's glad about that? He didn't retire. He just got refired. Verse 11, Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron. For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. It was fulfilled in Christ. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe. Jesus was the tribe of Judah. From which no man has officiated at the altar. Uh, Saul, one of the reasons he lost his authority was 
he did some things that only a priest should do. And he was not of the right tribe, and it disqualified him. That's one of the reasons. So how could Jesus serve as priest? Well, there's this prophecy in Psalm 110, verse 4. It says, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So Christ is a priest, not according to the order of Aaron, Levi, or Abraham, but predating the law that came centuries later through Moses, was this priest of the Most High God, not for a specific people group, but for the world at that time. Melchizedek. Somebody say, Amen. It's true. Whether, whether you uh, understand it fully, I challenge you to look into it, but we've got to move on. Verse 14, For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident if, in the likeness of Melchizedek, there arises another priest who has come, not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. For he testifies, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So the priestly ministry under the Old Covenant law, was a ministry of death. The sacrificing of animals. The pouring out of the animal's life. The shedding of blood. Christ came, suffered an unjust death. God allowed it to happen to change things so that he would bring the ministry of life and life more abundantly an endless life, not a law that brings it into death because the wages of sin is what? Death. We need to die. And yet Christ took our place and died for us and arose from the dead as the priest according to the order of Melchizedek who appears in Scripture and we have no record of his death. A picture of Jesus. Verse 18, for on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness, for the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope. Can we say better? Bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. So this is better. Inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, for they had become priests without an oath, but he with an oath by him who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. I'm not backing down. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety or guarantee of a better covenant. The old covenant included a prophecy that he's going to bring a better covenant where no one would say, know the Lord, for they all will know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. And so the purpose of the book is not to get trapped in the past, but to enjoy the amazing benefits of the new covenant. 
By so much more, Jesus had become a surety of a better covenant. Verse 23, also there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. There's no continuously ministering priest. They all had to die. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Now, I was raised in a stream of the body of Christ who called themselves oneness people. And they would quote John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. The Word was God. But they would ignore the witness of God. Focusing on the oneness of God, there is one God, amen? But yet, the Word of God was with God. So what we're talking about today is the witness of God. How His Word can become flesh and die and rise from the dead and be our high priest with the Father. We have an advocate with the Father who can empathize with our weaknesses. Having become a man and still is a man, a resurrected man, the God-man, God incarnate. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. So today we're talking about him, our high priest forever. Can somebody say eternal? Our high priest forever. Christ's high priesthood helps anchor our soul. This hope we have at an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters a presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Isn't this amazing? This anchors our soul. Because his work is finished. Now, if you're Roman Catholic, I don't want to offend you, but your church teaches that the work of redemption is ongoing, that they offer up a fresh sacrifice every time they serve the Mass. That is error. The sacrifice was offered once and for all. Now the sacrifice is our high priest. And you can come boldly to the Him. It said earlier in the book, and find grace in time of need. When you sin, run to him. And you don't have to go in a booth because of shame to tell him what you've done. Just tell him wherever you are. This is the gospel. Good news. His high priesthood is not temporary. This is not for the people back then. This is for us now. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. So Jesus is like Melchizedek, as Melchizedek is portrayed in the Bible. You just frame in those scriptures. We don't know anything else we can guess, but it's a picture of Jesus. Now, Jesus had genealogy, and he did die, but he arose from the dead. Yet, 
Some would say, how does this priest just come out of nowhere? He didn't come out of anywhere. His roots are in this, this priestly ministry that Abraham honored and pro- predicted by the prophet David in Psalm 110. Christ's priesthood is not according to the law, but according to the power of an endless life. It is far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come, not according to the law of a fleshly commandment that that calls for death, but according to the power of an endless life. For he testifies, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. God has sworn this and will not relent, and he fulfilled it with an oath. We have an eternal priest who's with us. So if you've been hiding in your sin, believing you're not worthy, you think any of us are worthy? Is our sin greater than God? He came to free us from the penalty and the power of sin. Some People preach, you'll never stop sinning till you die. Well, then you know what that means? Death is your Savior. Christ is our Savior. And He will free us from the power and penalty of sin. Not by legalism, not by making fenced laws, more legalism, but by following the Spirit. And He can lead you to freedom. So that we live a life not based on condemnation, but inspiration. Not based on perspiration, but appreciation. He loves you so much that when it dawns on you, it will break your heart and you'll not want to do the things you used to want to do. Some people suffer with loneliness, and so they medicate because they're lonely. He is a friend closer than a brother. Maybe you think, I don't have any friends. You have a friend in Jesus. Draw near to him. Exercise your faith. You're saying, I don't have to stop sinning? I'm telling you, stopping sinning is important. But stopping sin by itself isn't the point. You're going to slip up somewhere. But running to your master daily and giving him your life every day. Becoming as a child, living in the sunlight of his love will absolutely transform everything. As you draw near to him, he'll point out things. You know, you got a grudge there you need to deal with. And he won't let off of it. It'll be this, Lord, it's a, you're bringing that up again? Yeah, because you... I've got other things, but that's the one thing you need to deal with. His priesthood brings in a better hope through which we can all draw near to God. We read this earlier. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Draw near to Him. Nearness to God is not just a song. You know, draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, to thy precious bleeding side. Draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord. 
we draw near to him because we have a priest who's beckoning us. Come on. Draw near. With an oath, he became surety of a better covenant. It was not without an oath for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. The Levites were made priests because God told them to be priests. But there was no oath given. But this Melchizedek priesthood comes with an oath according to Psalm 110. But this one was made priest with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not relent, will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor, the surety, the guarantee of a better covenant. Our high priest forever, his unchangeable ministry saves all coming to God through him since he always lives to intercede for us. Verse 23, also there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. They all died. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost, yes, and even the guttermost, those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. What does this mean, him making intercession for us? I heard one preacher make an error by saying, well, that's Jesus yelling at the devil for you. No, that is Jesus as the resurrected man, the God-man, interceding for you, standing in your place. You know, if you were in trouble with the law, anything you say can be twisted and used against you. That's when you need an advocate who's not in the position of accused, who can explain clearly the position and defense that he determines is best for you. And he intercedes for you before the judge. Christ is our intercessor. Intercession is not, not just to pray in, in the position of someone, but it's actually to stand in that position as though you're that person. It's strong praying. So, when Christ intercedes for us, what does he say? What does he do? Well, we kind of have a glimpse of it in some of the Psalms, those inspired prayers that David prayed. But we have a glimpse of it in John 17. We instituted the Lord's table as part of the Passover meal he prayed and blessed his disciples and while he's praying he had these things to say he prayed for his disciples he, he said I pray for them I do not pray for the world but for those whom you have given me for they are yours verse 11 of John 17 father keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. Is Jesus and the Father one? He's praying for our unity. I do not pray, verse 15, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one, praying for their spiritual victory. Verse 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. He's praying for their purity for their being separate for the purposes of God. And then he moves from praying for his disciples to praying for new disciples. I do not pray for these alone, 
but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So you follow the chain of evangelism back in time, that prayer includes us. He's praying for us in John 17. Well, I never heard John or Peter or James say anything. Well, you read what they said if you've read the New Testament. If it had an influence on your life, part of your being a believer, Christ is praying for us, for those who would believe in him through their word. So he prayed for us. And he prayed for our unity, verse 21. That they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me. So he's praying for our oneness, our unity, and I in you. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. So a key to the world, believing that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, is our unity. He said in another place, by this all men will know that you're my disciples, by your love for one another. So this affects our testimony. You can't tell people how great Jesus is and how sorry his body is at the same time. As a preacher, I have to be real careful here, but there's some voices out there getting real popular whose message is to blast the church. When the scriptures say, if you see someone in error, go to them alone. So, you know, preachers I've been concerned with, I've sent them emails. You don't hear me mentioning them up here. Because that is, that's a bad witness All they have to do is just quote us to resist evangelism. You see that? And fourthly, he prayed for our unity to be perfected so the world would know why he was sent and that they too were loved by God. Verse 23, that they may be perfect or mature or complete in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them. So this, to me, our unity is so important that it's not just kumbaya unity, but it's unity with a purpose. And so important that it gives credibility to our witness. If you ever witness to someone and they bring up, why is all the churches, why can't you all get along, and they resist, that ever happen? It's time we it's time we do something about that problem. Can I make a commercial? <laughs> if we are part of this, we can say when they bring up that excuse, "Oh, you don't understand. Sure, we're diverse, but we have unity. For two days, we had heaven on earth. We saw." This many people become believers. This many people worship from around the county, and we were part of it. And that will bring that down. I I used to do that with the Jesus Video Project years ago, over 20 years ago. 25 churches united and distributed videos to over 8,000 families in Hood County. But, you know, that's a long time ago. It's kind of old to bring that up. (laughs) 
It'll be like, what have you done lately? So I conclude with this question. How can we cooperate with what Jesus prayed? As our high priest, and we're his priests, how should we minister? How can we help the world know they are loved? How can we disarm real resistance to the gospel? How can we demonstrate our unity in a way that could lead many into becoming Jesus followers? Well, it starts at home. Unify. If you're at home and you're digging up hatchets that you buried years ago, you need to stop it. Remember Garth Brooks' song? The neighbor's lights came on last night, just like they always do every time we fight. It's getting to the place we can't get along. When we bury the hatchet, we leave the handle sticking out. Oh, we bury the hatchet, but leave the handle sticking out. We're always talking about things we should forget about. <laughs> bury the hatchet. Christ died for the sins of the world. Amen. Minister the effects of his sacrifice at home to one another. And then search your heart. Do I have grudges, grudges against anybody? This is part of our priestly ministry. Do I have grudges against any people group? Do I have any prejudices? Repent. It grieves the heart of the Lord. Who knows your prayers can be hindered? Husbands, dwell with your wives in an understanding manner so that your prayers are not hindered. Peter knew that lesson. You ever try to pray and it's like the sky is just brass and God's like, talk to the hand. <laughs> Unity is so important. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for the fact that you're our great high priest forever. Hallelujah. Help us, Lord, to grasp this and to live in light of this. And then to extend this to others through our priestly ministries. I pray, Lord, for those that are hurting. For those that are being sinned against right now, I pray, Lord, they'd reach out and get some help. Lord, at the Romans 13 ministry, the police need to be involved. Lord, we thank you for them. In Jesus' name, amen. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise to you only. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour. church as the body of Christ and we declare that great are you Lord great is your faithfulness greater, but greater than anything else Father we sing and we shout your praises today so all the earth will shout your praise our hearts will cry these bones will sing sing it out pray our 
priestly ministry includes making sure the results of Christ's sacrifice are benefited from. The two middle verses in the Bible say, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of His benefits. And one of the benefits is the privilege to agree together in prayer, where two or three of you will agree concerning anything that they shall ask and it will be done by my Father in heaven. So this is our priestly ministry of intercession. Like the great high priest, we have opportunities to do that. So if you're here today and you could use some priestly ministry from another believer, prayer for healing, provision, wisdom, things Joseph mentioned at the beginning of the service, if, if that is you and you could use some agreement in prayer, you know, the key could be just humility and not, I got this. If you could use some prayer, could you just raise your hand right where you are? And we'll send some priests to come and pray for you. Keep your hand up till some people are by you. Just keep your hand raised. Anybody else? All right, saints, look around for raised hands and go join them if you're able to. If you're not, thank you so much for worshiping with us today. Go in the name of the Lord as his emissaries. In Jesus' name.